Hi, welcome to John Not Quite Calvin. I am your host, John Not Quite Calvin. So before I get into this episode, uh, if you are listening to this on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, or Radio Public, thank you so much for checking out this podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, this podcast is actually an offshoot of my official website, johnnotquitecalvin.com. So if you like this commentary, if you like this content, uh, go ahead and check out johnnotquitecalvin.com. On that, I have some written blog posts, and the podcast will actually also be put up on that website as well. So go ahead, check that out. And with that, on to the episode. So last time we spoke about if a Christian could lose their salvation. And in the episode, I mentioned a group very few people speak of, this group of people being false converts. So today, I'd like to dig in a little deeper into this group and try to clarify some things a bit more, uh, make things a little bit more clear on what I mean when I say false converts. So I'm about to say something no one would think that a sound teacher would say. Judas is a perfect example of a false convert. That's right. (laughs) So one thing that actually really bothers me is this view of Judas that we have where at the last supper, just imagine with, imagine this with me for a moment. We're at the last supper and we're filming it. And Jesus has just told the entire group that somebody was about to betray him. And everybody is just absolutely shocked. You go and you pan across the entire table. Every single one of the apostles looks as if they're just absolutely mortified. They don't have any idea what's going on. And none of them seem to notice it. But at the very end of the table, we have this man. And his name is Judas. And he's twirling a handlebar mustache and laughing menacingly. They don't realize I'm about to betray them. Or we have another view where the entire group seems to know that Judas is this evil, nasty, false convert, but they seem to just drag him around for some reason. But, you know, I actually kind of want to point this out that Judas actually wasn't what we like to like to think of him as. He isn't this evil menacing figure. Well, he he is evil in a certain sense, but we're all evil in a certain sense. But he's not this mad scientist evil villain twirling a handlebar mustache that everybody can look at him and realize, yes, that is a truly, truly evil man right there. Uh, Let's actually take a look at what really happened at the Last Supper in John chapter 13, verses 21 to 30. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side, So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So this disciple, so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table 
knew why he said this to him. So, some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give some something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So there's a couple of things that I would actually like to point out here. Uh, first and foremost, if you don't trust somebody, if this person's deemed untrustworthy, why would you give them the money? Another thing too, uh, now John doesn't go into it specifically, but the account in Matthew, actually every single one of the disciples asks Jesus, is it me? None of the disciples trust themselves, it seems, and none of them are pointing fingers at another one. All of them are pretty much in the same boat. They all appear to be very similar. They all appear to be loyal, faithful followers of Jesus. And even after he left, so Jesus says this thing, and he leaves, and the group doesn't just go, hold up, wait a minute. Judas just left after he's, after Jesus said that somebody was going to betray him. Obviously, it's Judas. No, actually, the group kind of doesn't really suspect a thing about it. They just figure that, well, Jesus was telling him to do something else. He was telling him to go out and give money to the poor. Uh, or he was going to go and buy some food for the feast. He, he wasn't going to go and betray Jesus. So just it's it's something that I really kind of want to point out. Judas wasn't uh, obviously going to betray anybody. He wasn't obviously the bad guy. In fact, he appeared to be just like any of the other apostles. Nobody suspected him of anything. In fact, they probably trusted Judas a lot more than we give Judas credit for. I mean, with a group of 13 guys, you have to be pretty careful on who you give all the money to. And the thing, too, is that, yeah, we do find out through John's account that Judas was stealing money from the bag. And he was doing really shady things and doing really evil things. But at the time the group probably just thought that Judas was being very generous. Uh, if they were taking account of the money, they probably were just figuring, okay, well, Judas is probably just giving it to the poor. Uh, he's probably doing a really generous and right thing, just like any of us would. None of them point fingers. None of them point to another one. In fact, they all seem to be on equal footing and on equal ground. They all trust each other. They've been ministering together for three years. They know each other very well. So it's pretty telling when none of them kind of just look at the other one and go, well, obviously it's going to be Judas over there. My, my word. That man is, that man's just a wreck. We've been with him for three years and this guy doesn't seem to know what he's talking about or know what he's doing. No, Judas appears to be a very, very solid Christian. He seems to be a very solid disciple, a very solid follower of Jesus. And we don't seem to realize that. We seem to think of, Judas and these false converts and false teachers and things. And we seem to look at them and go, you know what? Those people are so obviously fake that you should be able to tell them apart from crowd. Yeah. You, you know, you should be, you should be able to tell a, a real Christian from a false Christian, but that's not always the case. 
In fact, a lot of false converts appear to be very, very righteous people, very good Christians. But that's because they put on a face for Sunday, and then the rest of their lives they live like the devil. So, it's it's one of those things of how do we tell a true convert, a true believer, from a false convert? And it can be really difficult at times. So, last week... I talked about John chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. Uh, That says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I emphasize the point that when somebody believes, they have eternal life. They possess it. It's in their possession. So sometimes we can look at somebody and say, well, you know, they profess Christ and they believe in Christ. So therefore, they must be Christians, they must be saved. So when somebody who does this, who publicly professes Jesus and has been involved in a church, leaves, uh, for instance, uh, oh, what was was his name? I just talked about him, Josh Harris. Um, So when somebody like Josh Harris, who was actually a pastor at a time, uh, you know, at, at one point in his life, walks away from the faith, it really can be kind of startling. And we can look at these verses and the verse that says that whoever believes has eternal life. And we could say, well, they, they believed. So are they still a Christian? Do do they still uh, have eternal life? Are they still saved? And the thing is that actually I want to go back to this verse, but I want to point to something very specific that whoever believes in him may have eternal life that whoever believes in him should not perish. And this is actually one of the things that I think that the English translations kind of fail on. And to be honest, it's just kind of the English language in general, now that I think about it. But when we say believe, we think, oh, well, you know, if, if I believe in my heart that Jesus, in Jesus, then I'm saved. But actually, the the word here for believe in him, like the, the actual believing in him, isn't just believing that Jesus was real. It's not believing most of the things that Jesus says. It's believing his character. It's believing everything about him. So yeah, I want to emphasize what it means to believe in Jesus' name. It's not just believe that he lived and existed, but to believe in his entire character and being. That all he says is true, and all of his actions are true as well. This is why atheists, Muslims, and you know, and people who say that they believe that Jesus was a real person aren't saved. They're 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 not they don't have eternal life even if they agree that Jesus existed. that's So the argument with Muslims isn't if Jesus existed or not. It's on who Jesus is. A Muslim will tell you all day, yes, Jesus was an incredible prophet. You can get an atheist to believe that Jesus was a real person. In fact, it's probably one of, he's one of the most well-documented people ever. 
And we're talking about extra, bi- extra biblical evidences. To say that Jesus never existed is foolish. You can point to the historical records. You can point to a thousand different things. And Jesus is very well documented. So just believing that he existed isn't saving. And also, it's it's, it's also a thing of they deny his exclusivity and his eternal saving power. This is why Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian scientists, and other false religions that claim to be Christians aren't considered true Christians. They affirm that Jesus, they, they affirm Jesus, they affirm that he exists. They say that they believe in him because that's what it says to have eternal life, to believe in him. But they only believe of what, of what, of most of what he says. And they deny and reject his divine nature. So that's that's really a key difference. And not only that, you can actually see this play out scripturally uh, with Judas. Uh, consider this. So Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, well, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So right here we see that most of the people believe that Jesus exists. He's Israel. They've met him. Right? Uh, anyway, but they believe that he's John the Baptist. He, they believe he's a reincarnation of John the Baptist, which doesn't make sense considering he met John the Baptist. Uh, others say that he's Elijah. Uh, this probably points to the fact that in the prophecy, it was said that somebody with the spirit of Elijah would appear. Now, we know from the gospel accounts and from some of the letters that this presence, this Elijah, was actually uh, was actually John the Baptist. Uh, other people claim that he's Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So some people believe that he was like Jeremiah and some of the Old Testament prophets, and he really was just another, another Old Testament prophet. And Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is an incredible statement. You are the Christ. Peter doesn't go, oh, well, you're, you're Jesus. He doesn't go, well, you're a great teacher. Well, you're a great guy. No, Peter just goes straight up to the top and says, you know what? You're the promised Messiah. You are the one who will save us from our sins. You are the one that gives eternal life. Everything that you say is true. You are God. You are the son of the living God. But then we kind of see this difference with Judas. Uh, I think a lot of people actually skip this over. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 49. And he, this being Judas, came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Judas never calls Jesus the Christ. Judas never admits the position of Christ. 
Judas thought that Jesus is this great teacher, this excellent moral human teacher. He's not a prophet. He doesn't regard him as a prophet. He doesn't regard him as the Messiah. He doesn't regard him as God. He doesn't say anything about his divine nature. He just goes and admits that, uh, Rabbi, you're a great teacher, a great human teacher. So the thing is that we need to realize that Jesus is the Son of God. We need to affirm what Peter affirms in chapter 16. He is the Son of God. He is the one and only rightful heir to the throne of grace and glory, the firstborn ruler of all. So another thing, too, is we need to affirm the divinity of Christ. We need to affirm this. It's, it's really been bogged down, and a lot of people kind of just accept it. And some people will argue, well, he says he's the son of God. He doesn't say that he is God. No, beginning of John is very clear. He was God. Turned to human. <laughs> he is God. There is only one God. Jesus is a person of the Trinity. So I, I actually kind of want to point this out by, you know, some people are like, oh, well, you know, Jesus never actually affirms that he was God. Actually, he does. He goes and says, before Moses, I am. He's affirming the fact that he is Yahweh. He is I am. He is the one. He is the creator of all things. But also, some would say that the Pharisees are being legalistic when they call for Jesus to be stoned for blasphemy. That's not legalism. That, that isn't legalism. Actually, the Pharisees are 100% right to want to stone Jesus. Because what he did, what he claimed to do, what he claimed to be, the things that he was doing, if he was not God, would be blasphemy. What he was doing would be blasphemy. And he deserved to be stoned. Yes, the Pharisees are extremely legalistic. But the other thing we need to realize, though, is the Pharisees were very knowledgeable about the scriptures. They were very knowledgeable about the law. They weren't always wrong in regards to the law. They were legalistic on certain things, of course, but their reaction to want to stone Christ is wrong because of who Jesus is, not because they were being legalistic. That's something that we have to remember. Another thing, too is we need to realize that Jesus was risen from the dead. After everything that Jesus said and did, he was still raised from the dead. If he was not who he claimed to be, he would not have been raised from the dead. God would not have allowed it. So it's, it's, it's a wrong view of Jesus. It's a wrong view of who Jesus is ultimately. But I also kind of want to point out another really important character in the Bible. And most of you actually probably have never heard of him, but he is actually a very, very important figure in the New Testament. And this is Demas. So Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 4, verse 14, says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. 
This is the first time that Demas is mentioned in the scriptures. And in Philemon, verse 24, and so does Mark, Aristarchus, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. One thing at the end of all of Paul's letters, we kind of take this for granted, but Paul does describe people who will be in heaven. He usually is describing some great warriors of the faith, some great fellow workers, people who are really passionate about the gospel, really great Christians, really upstanding citizens. And he mentions Demas multiple times. And he also mentions Demas in a very, very positive light. However, we do see the end of Demas. Second Timothy chapter four, verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas fell in love with the world. Demas was this strong Christian. He was a fellow worker with Paul. He was so important to Paul's ministry that he mentions him in multiple letters. He's heartbroken when Demas leaves, but Demas leaves. Why? Because he fell in love with this present world. Demas was a false Christian. Why? Because if he really believed in the character and nature of Jesus Christ, he wouldn't have fallen in love with the world. He would have realized the importance of eternal life. So that's, that, that is one thing, like the very, very important thing is we need to have a right understanding of who is this Jesus? Why is he so important? Why is it Christianity? Why isn't it just God, Godianity, but specifically Christianity? And it's because Christ is God. So what, what are some causes of this? We're seeing this a lot more, right? We're seeing a lot more false converts. We're seeing a lot of people leave the church. Usually they're leaving the church when they don't like something. And usually it's stronger preaching. And really it is. It's weak theology. We're not speaking about... It's weak theology, specifically Christology. Very weak Christology. We're not speaking about who Jesus is. We're not emphasizing the importance of Jesus. And we're not emphasizing his entire character. We really emphasize his love and his mercy, but we forget about his justice. Uh, we forget about what he tells us not to do. We really focus on the liberty that he gives us, which isn't a bad thing, but Jesus still is God. Jesus still affirms the things in the Old Testament. He doesn't just abolish everything and say, oh, we'll just cover it up with love. Uh, Jesus doesn't really say that. Cover up a multitude of sins with love. Sure, being loving towards another person, but that doesn't mean, oh, well, yeah, they're sinning a bunch, but if I just love them, they'll be fine. No. It's it's another thing, too, of consumerism. Uh, Demas fell in love with the world, worldliness. When we're really not emphasizing the vast importance of Jesus over the things of the world, and we're just trying to pull in a whole bunch of people, we're not going to get a lot of really convicted followers of Jesus Christ. We can't expect people to be true believers, true converts, if we're not specifically preaching the true gospel. You can't. You can't expect a bunch of sheep to be in your church 
when all you're doing is putting out goat food. No, all the sheep are going to leave and you're going to be left with a whole bunch of goats. You can't expect to have a flourishing field of wheat when you're sowing for weeds. And, you know, it. it's not just false churches. It's not just false teachers. It's good churches, good teachers have false converts in them. I mean, look at Judas. Judas was taught by Christ. Look at Demas. Demas's mentor was Paul. There is nothing wrong with either one of those teachers. Those are the best teachers in my, you know, in honestly, those are the two best Christian teachers you're ever going to get. Specifically, Christ is going to be the greatest teacher you're ever going to get in regards to Christ, in regards to Christianity. And Paul's going to be the other greatest teacher. But yet we see demons fall away. We see Judas fall away. They were false converts. So don't just think that it's false teachers and false churches that there can be false converts in. It could be the guy next to you. It could be, it could be the, the financial manager of your church. It could be your deacons. It could be an elder. It could be you. <laughs> That's why we're supposed to make our calling and election sure. That's what Peter says. We need to read the scriptures. We need to make sure that we're truly saved. And the best way that we can do that is looking at 1 John chapter 2. That's that's really going to be kind of the the ultimate test of am I a Christian? Do I really you know, do I really meet what John says a Christian looks like? But really, the ultimate solution is, you know, just reading your Bible, realizing what does a real Christian look like? What does a true believer of Christ look like? What does a true church teach? What does a tr- true church preach? And not only that, sharing the gospel, not just with unbelievers. Share the gospel with people at your church. Always season your speech with salt. The best salt? The gospel. When somebody in your church is having a hard time, point them to Christ. When somebody's having a good time, point them to Christ. When you're just talking with somebody, why not just bring up the gospel? Why not talk about Christ? We shouldn't be ashamed to talk about Christ with other people. In fact, we should really find a a bunch of joy in it. Obviously, not 100% of what you're going to say is going to be the gospel. But why not talk about the gospel with somebody? And... If you're not if you're not sure about somebody, I mean, we can't judge their eternal state, but you can talk to them about the gospel. <laughs> One thing that we seem to really forget about is most of the people when they share their testimony, they say that, "Oh, it's a pretty boring testimony, it's a pretty boring story because I went to church my entire life." You went to church most of your life and you weren't a Christian for most of your life. You went to church all of your life, but you weren't a Christian for all of your life. Yeah, uh, it's it's not this, oh, wow, I wish I was a crack dealer. And, you know, Christ really changed my life. But, you know, you can point that out. You can point it out in your testimony. Hey, I went to church my entire life, and I wasn't saved. Wow, that's pretty effective. 
why don't you talk about that with people at your church? Why don't you point out, hey, you know, I, I went to church most of my life, but I wasn't a Christian until I believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, really the ultimate solution is, let's preach the gospel. Let's understand what the gospel is. Let's preach it. And let's not just preach it to people that we know aren't believers, but let's preach it to people that we know who are in the church or in our Bible studies. Anyway, I'm running out of time here. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly what I'm going to be talking about next. Uh, I could be going off of, uh, maybe I'll talk about false teachers. Maybe I'll talk about something that's going on in the news. But I'll figure that out when I get there. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.